something just to go over in your own mind today on the Sabbath day. Uh, maybe consider such things as uh, him coming to judge the living and the dead. Jesus is coming back and everybody will be raised bodily. Everybody. And there will be a final judgment where the sheep and the goats will be separated one final time. It's a great thing to meditate on, his coming back. Please take your scriptures out and open them to John as we continue our march through the Gospel of John. We're going to be looking at the first 11 verses of chapter 12. This is a well-known story in scripture actually told by uh, three of the four gospel writers. John chapter 12. We're going to be talking about extravagant love this morning. Extravagant love. Uh, I don't know if you have ever... How many of you have seen the movie My Fair Lady? There you go. How many have seen a play of My Fair Lady? Okay, about the same number. It's amazing. In the Broadway play, My Fair Lady, Eliza Doolittle is courted by a man, if you remember, named Freddie. And if you recall, Freddie writes... Eliza love letters every day. You remember that? But Eliza's response to all these letters is not typical, I would say. She at one point exclaims, words, words. I'm sick of words. Don't talk of stars burning above. If you're in love, show me. Don't talk of love lasting through time. Make No undying vow. If you love me, show me now. So Eliza Doolittle, isn't it? Words are wonderful. Words are powerful. Words, however, are empty without action. Even our Savior, the incarnate word, the word become flesh. Remember in the first chapter of John, he's the incarnate word. Even the incarnate word just didn't come and say, I love you. He showed us how much he loved us, didn't he? That's what the cross is all about. That's what we celebrated last Sunday was all about. Actions are powerful ways to show that we love someone. In our text today, we see an act of love that, as the other two gospel writers who counted this said, would never be forgotten. And here we are, over 2,000 years later, remembering this extravagant love. Look with me at verse 1 of chapter 12. Six days before the Passover, Jesus arrived at Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served, while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of perfume. But one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. 
As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put in it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came, not because of him, but to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. For on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and putting their faith in him. What we're privy to here, uh, privy here to read is a celebration supper. Jesus has returned to Bethany for the first time in probably a couple months. And Lazarus is here reclining at the table with him, eating, talking, probably laughing. You have to really understand this picture. I mean, don't read the Bible in a vacuum. Here was a man who was wrapped up, put in the grave for four days. His flesh was beginning to decay. And here he is at the table, vividly alive. And don't forget, both Matthew and Mark's gospel tell us that they held this celebration at Simon the leper's house. So here we have a dead man raised, and we have a leper healed, reclining with the twelve disciples, celebrating, having a dinner in honor of Jesus, the man who had, who had healed these men, man who they loved, and then something happens that, that brings this celebration dinner to a standstill. Mary comes in, and she probably breaks the head off of her clay perfume bottle, and she pours it on Jesus' feet. As a matter of fact, the other two gospel writers that, that account for this say she started at his head and poured it on his head and then went to his feet and poured this perfume, this oily perfume on his feet. She just didn't stop there. She, she undid her hair and began wiping his feet with her hair, staying at his feet. This action would stop all conversation at this dinner. I mean, you have, to, you have to envision this. It would stop mouths from chewing. It would stop drinks halfway to the, to the lips. It would stop the servants in their gate. It would be like a still painting, except for Mary moving and showing how much she loved Jesus. Notice Mary said nothing, but she showed her extravagant love in two ways. And those are the things I want to talk to you about today. Two ways that Mary showed her extravagant love. First, and this is going to sound strange maybe, she was willing to look ridiculous. Extravagant love many times looks ridiculous. I want us to think about a couple things here to make this clear. Mary knew there were plenty of ways 
that Mary could have showed her love for Jesus. Many traditional customary ways. I mean, we, we have some ex- examples in scripture. I mean, the, the, uh, the man with the prodigal son, he went and he took a, a prized animal, a fatted calf, and he slaughtered it and prepared a feast. That was a very traditional way to go over the top to show extravagant love. Mary probably could have bought him maybe a new robe. Uh, they wore out over the miles and miles of travel. Perhaps new sandals. Savior, here are some new sandals for you. Very acceptable in that culture. She could even have gifted him, come in and said, Master, Rabbi, Rabboni, for you, and given him the perfume bottle. An extravagant show of love. What a gift that would have been. And very, very, very socially acceptable. But no, she wasn't thinking about what was socially acceptable. She wasn't thinking about the customary ways, was she? She was showing love from the heart. She was acting from the heart. Mary came in and broke the bottle and saturated his feet and sat there at his feet, wiping them with her hair. Now, understand a couple of things. Married women never went out in public without their hair covered or bound up. One of the signs that a woman was an immoral woman, a prostitute, is that they wore their hair down. And so for for Mary to undo her hair, she she was exposing herself to customary ridicule. Also notice that Mary is at Jesus' feet. That's the, the typical place for a slave. If you remember another story about when Jesus went to a Pharisee's house and, and a woman came in and, and wept at his feet and dried the tears, remember, with her hair. And, you know, the Pharisee was, was shocked. And Jesus says, listen, when I came into the house, you, you, you didn't wash my feet. That's the customary job of the slave of the household. And yet she washed them with her tears. So here here Mary is in the humble position at Jesus' feet. And then she dries them with her hair, doing something nonsensical. That doesn't make sense, you know. And, and, And all the research I did, all the exegesis I did, all the commentaries I wrote, there isn't an aha moment here where you go, oh, the whipping of the means that in the Old Testament. There's none of that. (laughs) She was just doing something nonsensical from the heart. It was driven by love. So, if I can put this all together with you, so she was willing to look like an immoral, nonsensical slave, showing her love to Jesus. Her love made her look ridiculous. That's what made people stop chewing. That's what made people stop drinking. That's what brought silence to that dinner party. And many times that's what love does, doesn't it? That's what love demands. I mean, if I can, if I can speak to your hearts for a few moments, love makes us do things that sometimes we otherwise would not do. This isn't a Baptist church, but amen? I mean, the, am, 
I'm not getting any head shakes here. Am I talking about only my own heart? Does it make you do some things that are crazy and ridiculous sometimes? Maybe think back. I think about when the silly custom that we have in the West here. You're at a restaurant and all of a sudden you hear a a chair move out and you glance over and you see a man down on a knee opening a little box willing to look ridiculous for the love of a woman. Or when you see young people oblivious to anybody in all surroundings, just looking into each other's eyes. Or we love movies that show this, don't we? We love the romantic movies where the man comes at the end of the movie and does, looks ridiculous and declares the love for the woman. I think of my, one of my sister's favorite movies, Barefoot in the Park with Robert Redford and Jane Fonda when they have a fight you know, and, and, and they, he leaves and she thinks it's over. And all she wants is, is for him to do something because he's so buttoned up. He's so socially proper. She says, all I want you to do is show your love for me in some kind of silly way. And he walks barefoot in the park in January for her. If you remember the context of that movie. Love makes us do nonsensical things. And Mary loved Jesus so much that she was willing to look ridiculous. She loved Jesus so much she didn't care what other people thought. As one writer put it, she was so struck with how great and awesome and amazing and worthy Jesus was. She loved Jesus so much that she acted in a self-forgetting fashion. Have you ever acted like that? self-forgetting fashion. Warren Wearsby wrote, her act of love, Mary's act of love and worship was public, spontaneous, sacrificial, lavish, personal, and unembarrassed. Does your love for Jesus affect you like that? That's the challenge that Mary's act puts before us here. Is our love for Jesus so deep that we're willing to be unembarrassed for him. Maybe to look ridiculous for him. Paul Metzger, in his commentary, steps it up a notch by asking, how can we worship Jesus without having to be undone and lose it in the process? Have you ever been undone in your love for Jesus. Mary's love was so great that she was undone. Has your love for Jesus ever made you do something nonsensical? Has your love for Jesus over ever overwhelmed you to the point where you become self-forgetting? Are you even willing to look ridiculous in the smallest bit for Jesus Christ? 
I was at the conference a couple of weeks ago with Mark, and it was a, a preaching and worship conference. And, and two, we were in the third row. In the first row, each session was Bob Coughlin. Bob Coughlin is is a worship leader, and he was there teaching us about leading um, music worship. And every time we'd start the sessions with two, three, or four songs, and he was there. I, I just saw his back, but he was there, and his whole body was worshiping. You know, he was swaying, and if you remember Mark, you know he was pointing, and and fist pumping, you know, not in an outrageous way, but just in passion. He was loving Jesus in a self-forgetting manner. He was willing to be undone. He was willing to let his emotions flow. Now, hear me, hear me explicitly. I am not advocating emotionalism here. What I'm challenging you in my heart is to allow room for emotions. To allow room for that in your worship, in your love for Jesus. I sometimes wonder if we're too prim and proper here at Southwest Harbor Congregational. When I encounter acts like Mary's. In both Matthew and Mark's account of this dinner, I want to bring this to your attention, that, that here in John, Judas is given voice here. But in both Matthew and Mark's account, it says that the disciples were indignant at Mary. So as she came in and did this outrageous act of love, everybody at the table was indignant. They felt as if this was a little too much, a little over the top. There needed to be some modicum of control and propriety. There needed to be some dignity here. I sometimes wonder if those aren't the voices that we have in our head. Don't sway in worship. Don't, even though you, you really feel like doing something with your hands, don't do something too outrageous with your hands. Don't let people see you tear up. God forbid, don't drop to your knees. Could you imagine? Very typical in Scripture, by the way. It's never happened here in 13 years. I wonder. I ask again, does your love for Jesus ever make you self-forgetting? Are you willing to be undone for Jesus Christ? Are you willing to look ridiculous because of your love for him? And just in case you think I'm here off on a tangent and, and, and not in control here, I want to bring to our minds our example, Jesus Christ. Think about what we just celebrated last week. 
Philippians 2 tells us that he made himself nothing for us. Goes on to say he became an acting like a servant for us. Acting maybe like Mary. He emptied himself of the privilege of his deity and became human for us. And then it ends with he became obedient to death, even death on the cross. Do you, do you, have you ever paused there in Philippians 2 and said, why does it say even? Why does it, why does it call that out? Prim and proper Southwest Harbor Congregational Church, Jesus hung naked on the cross. Our paintings, all the paintings we have, I did a search on the internet, I, I only found one or two paintings that showed Jesus naked on the cross. We are so concerned with preserving dignity and propriety that we can't even picture Jesus the way he was willing to go through. Even death on a cross. His example for us is to look ridiculous. That was the shame. That was part of the shame of the cross. They took the garments. Not only were you tacked up there for all to see in a very, very vulnerable position, you were stark, raving naked. He held on to none of his dignity for us. He hung naked on the cross. How ridiculous. J. Vernon McGee, I can hardly read this without thinking of his voice. It's difficult for us in this age of nudity and pornography to comprehend the great humiliation Jesus suffered by hanging naked on the cross. They had taken his garments and gambled for ownership, my friend. He went through it all, crucified naked, that you might be clothed in the righteousness of Christ and so be able to stand before God throughout all endless ages of eternity. So next time you hear that niggling voice in the back of your head, keep it together, don't, don't stand out, maybe think of Jesus. I want to hold on to my dignity. I don't want people to think. Maybe think of Mary. Who loved extravagantly. So much so that she was willing to look ridiculous. We also see here, though, an extravagant love shown in another way. And that is in her giving, obviously. This is what we see most apparently in the text she was giving radically to Jesus. We have to understand that this was a calculated act. This was not something that you know, Mary didn't think about. I mean, this was valuable to her. And she thought, uh, how can I show how much I love Jesus Christ? The only thing that came into mind was that bottle of perfume. Probably handed down in her family. Very valuable, worth a year's wages. It might have been her inheritance. It might have been part of, of if she was ever married, a dowry. We don't know. But it was her security. If everything else falls out, I have this. It was her future. 
It was her rainy day fund. Any way you slice it, this was a radical gift that Mary gave to Jesus. She dedicated to him. And the disciples knew it. Again, I mean, look at what Judas says here in verse 5. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. And John goes on to tell us that that, that what he said on the surface was not what was in his heart, right? What was in his heart was greed and covetousness. But boy, it sounded really pious, didn't it? It sounded good. And perhaps Judas's comments perhaps reveal a little bit about our hearts too. Paul Metzger wrote, As the readers tend to praise Mary, who is safely dead, for her extravagant demonstration of love for Jesus, but we tend to behave like Judas, both in careful, controlled piety and in our dismissal of costly worship, when we encounter it. Is this true? Pretty tough truth if it's true. What goes on in our minds when we're privy to something that somebody is doing that is very extravagant for Christ? Are we careful to control our piety? Control our devotion. Control our commitment. Committed this much and no more. This much might be a little too extravagant. What's your inner voice saying? You know of someone who is giving what you think is too much money to the church. Maybe, maybe you've experienced this. You know somebody, they don't have that much to give. Shouldn't give that much. Maybe someone like Mary here who had little else. Or maybe someone like, remember the the widow's offering in the temple? She gave all she had. And what's our first thought? Honestly, people. Honestly, she shouldn't have done that. She needed to live. Can we be honest here? That's where our hearts go. That's what made Judas say what he said. What does your inner voice say to something like, does it say something like, that's not practical. They're not thinking practically here. Or maybe, that wasn't too smart. That was a little foolish. She wasn't thinking when she gave. That sounds good, but maybe a little like Judas. Okay, or what about somebody who's giving a little bit too much of their time to the church? A little too much of their time. They're serving, and it's taking a lot of their time, and maybe taking time away from other things. What does your inner voice say, people? Be honest. Be doing something a little bit more productive. It's really taking away from something they should be doing. 
Maybe you're hearing this, and in your inner monologue, you're going, yeah, but Blake, yeah, but Blake, but. Warren Wearsby says about Mary, she was misunderstood and criticized. But that is usually what happens when somebody gives his or her best to the Lord. See, Mary gave her best because she knew what Jesus was going to do. In verse 7, Jesus chides, not Judas, but now we know all the disciples. He chides all the disciples. He says, leave her alone. It was intended that she would save this perfume for the day of my burial. She was preparing him for burial. I've read a lot of commentaries on this, and some say Mary knew what, where Jesus was going. It wasn't a secret. He had been telling his disciples all along, I am going to Jerusalem, and there the Son of Man will be lifted up, given, handed over to the men, and he will be lifted up and killed. And Mary heard that, and she went, I get it. He's going <laughs> for me. And I'm going to do this thing for him. Mary knew what Jesus was going to go do. And Jesus' radical generosity of himself caused her to become radically generous herself. I found this quote on a webpage of a church in downtown New York City, and I like it. Radical generosity is generosity that flows from an encounter with this radically generous God we meet in the gospel of Jesus Christ. When the gospel takes root in our lives, it becomes the story that shapes, informs, defines the decisions and the direction of our lives. See, when you realize, when you begin to realize that Jesus was willing to look ridiculous for you, that he became poor in every way for you, that he loved you that extravagantly, that he gave everything he had for you, his life, to the extent and the degree that you realize that is the extent and degree which it will shape and inform and direct your decisions in your life. It's exactly what happened to R.G. Letourneau. Letourneau committed his life in 1904 to revival at age 16. He went on to become a really successful businessman and father of the modern earth-moving industry. As his wealth increased, he committed to living on just 10% of his income and gave 90% of his personal and his corporate earnings away to kingdom work. When he was asked about this commitment later on in his life, he answered, the question is not how much money I give to God but how much of God's money I keep for myself. He had an encounter with a radically generous God that radically made him generous. Kind of like Louis Tappan. Tappan had an encounter with a radically generous Jesus and went on to become a businessman in New York City. He went on to found the American Mercantile Agency, today called Dun & Bradstreet. Upon his death, Tappan passed little of his immense wealth along to his children because he had given most of his fortune away. The gospel took root in his life and made him radical in his decisions. 
And then there's the little known story of backstory of John Wesley. John Wesley, as we know, is the founder of modern day Methodism. He's a huge figure in the Great Awakening. His tireless teaching, preaching, writing, organizing, and activism is absolutely without parallel. It's without parallel. His book sales alone earned him, in today's money, $10 million. You know how much he died with? Zero. See, the radical generosity of the gospel shaped, informed, and defined his entire life. Just as it did Mary who gave away her inheritance, who gave away her security. I would even go so far as to say to give away her future. Mark Johnson wrote, Our genuine response to Jesus is seen not in the words that we offer him or what we parade before others, but in the whole orientation of our life. We should have sang this song by Isaac Watts, but we didn't. But you all know it well. And I'll end with this. The Watts hymn, When I Survey the Wonders Cross. We sing this often here. I want this to be burned into your minds so that when you sing it next time, I want you to ask, do I believe this? Do I live this? He wrote this. We're all that were the whole realm of nature mine that were present far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Please pray with me. Father, I ask you to cut our hearts. And break them. Help us to see as we come before you in the Lord's table now. That word picture of the gospel. And realize the radical generosity that Jesus showed towards us. In Jesus name. Amen.